0: Section 37 of The Great Events, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 1. Edited by Charles F. Horne, ROSETER Johnson, and John Rudd. Invasion of Greece by Persians under Xerxes. Defense of Thermopylae b c 480 by herodotus part One. the invasion of greece by xerxes is the subject of the great history written in nine books by herodotus his object is to show the preeminence of greece whose fleets and armies defeated the forces of the persians after these latter had triumphed over the most powerful nations of the earth xerxes collected a vast army from all parts of the empire the phoenicians furnished him with an enormous fleet and he made a bridge of a double line of boats across the hellespont and cut a canal through the peninsula of mount athos he reached sardis in the autumn of b c 481 and the next year his army crossed the bridge of boats taking seven days and seven nights for the transit the number of his fighting men was over two millions and a half. His ships of war were twelve hundred and seven in number, and he had three thousand smaller vessels for carrying his land forces and supplies. At the narrow pass of Thermopylae, in the northeast of Greece, this immense army was checked for a while by the heroic Leonidas and his three hundred Spartans, who, however, perished in their attempt to prevent the persians attack on athens which city was almost entirely destroyed by the invaders the sea fight of salamis was won by the greeks against enormous odds and in the battle of Plataea, b c 479 the defeat of the persians by the greek land forces was made more complete by the death of mardonius the most renowned general of xerxes the greeks when they arrived at the isthmus consulted on the message they had received from alexander in what way and in what places they should prosecute the war the opinion which prevailed was that they should defend the pass at thermopylae for it appeared to be narrower than that into thessaly and at the same time nearer to their own territories for the path by which the greeks who were taken at thermopylae were afterwards surprised they knew nothing of till on their arrival at thermopylae they were informed of it by the Trachinians. they accordingly resolved to guard this pass and not suffer the barbarian to enter greece and that the naval force should sail to artemisium in the territory of Histiaeotus, for these places are near one another so that they could hear what happened to each other these spots are thus situated in the first place artemisium is contracted from a wide space of the thracian sea into a narrow frith which lies between the island of sciatus and the continent of magnesia from the narrow frith begins the coast of eubia called artemisium and in it is a temple of diana but the entrance into greece through trachis in the narrowest part is no more than a half a plethora in width however the narrowest part of the country is not in this spot but before and behind thermopylae for near alpeni which is behind there is only a single carriage road and before by the river phoenix near the city of anthela is another single carriage road on the western side of Thermopylae is an inaccessible and precipitous mountain stretching to mount Oeta, and on the eastern side of the way is the sea and a morass in this passage there are hot baths which the inhabitants call hitri and above these is an altar to hercules a wall had been built in this pass and formerly there were gates in it the phocians built it through fear when the Thessalians came from Thesprotea, to settle in the Aeolian territory which they now possess. Apprehending that the Thessalians would attempt to subdue them, the Phocians took this precaution. At the same time, they diverted the hot water into the entrance, that the place might be broken into clefts, having recourse to every contrivance to prevent the Thessalians from making inroads into their country now this old wall had been built a long time and the greater part of it had already fallen through age but they determined to rebuild it and in that place to repel the barbarian from greece very near this road there was a village called Alpine. from this the greeks expected to obtain provisions accordingly these situations appeared suitable for the greeks for they having weighed everything beforehand and considered that the barbarians would neither be able to use their numbers nor their cavalry there resolved to await the invader of greece as soon as they were informed that the persians were in pieria breaking up from the isthmus some of them proceeded by land to thermopylae and others by sea to artemisium the greeks therefore being appointed in two divisions hastened to meet the enemy. But at the same time the Delphians, alarmed for themselves and for Greece, consulted the oracle, and the answer given them was that they should pray to the winds, for that they would be powerful allies to Greece. The Delphians, having received the oracle, first of all communicated the answer to those Greeks who were zealous to be free, and as they very much dreaded the barbarians by giving that message they acquired a claim to everlasting gratitude after that the delphians erected an altar to the winds at thea where there is an enclosure consecrated to thea daughter of cephesus from whom this district derives its name and conciliated them with sacrifices and the delphians in obedience to that oracle to this day propitiate the winds. The naval force of Xerxes, setting out from the city of Therma, advanced with ten of the fastest sailing ships straight to Scyathus, where there were three Grecian ships keeping a lookout a Trozinian, an Aegentan, and an Athenian. These, seeing the ships of the barbarians at a distance, betook themselves to flight. The Troxinian ship, which Praxinus commanded, the barbarians pursued and soon captured, and then, having led the handsomest of the marines to the prow of the ship, they slew him, deeming it a good omen that the first Greek they had taken was also very handsome. The name of the man that was slain was Leon, and perhaps he, in some measure, reaped the fruits of his name. The Agenitan ship, which Isonides commanded, gave them some trouble. Pythias, son of Iscanus, being a marine on board, a man who on this day displayed the most consummate valour, who, when the ship was taken, continued fighting until he was entirely cut to pieces. But when, having fallen, he was not dead, but still breathed, the Persians who served on board the ships were very anxious to save him alive on account of his valour healing his wounds with myrrh and binding them with bandages of flaxen cloth and when they returned to their own camp they showed him with admiration to the whole army and treated him well but the others whom they took in this ship they treated as slaves thus then two of the ships were taken but the other which formis an athenian commanded in its flight ran ashore at the mouth of the peneus and the barbarians got possession of the ship but not of the men for as soon as the athenians had run the ship aground they leaped out and proceeded through thessaly reached athens the greeks who were stationed at artemisium were informed of this event by signal flags from Skyathus, and being informed of it and very much alarmed they retired from artemisium to calchas intending to defend the europus and leaving scouts on the heights of euboea of the ten barbarian ships three approached the sunken rock called mimex between sciatus and magnesia then the barbarians when they had erected on the rock a stone column which they had brought with them set out from therma now that every obstacle had been removed and sailed forward with all their ships having waited eleven days after the king's departure from therma Paman, a Skyrian, pointed out to them this hidden rock which was almost directly in their course the barbarians sailing all day reached sepias and magnesia and the shore that lies between the city of castania and the coast of sepias as far as this place and thermopylae the army had suffered no loss and the numbers were at that time as i find by calculations of the following amount of those in ships from asia amounting to one thousand two hundred and seven originally the whole number of the several nations was two hundred forty one thousand four hundred men allowing two hundred to each ship and on these ships thirty persians medes and sake served as marines in addition to the native crews of each this father number amounts to thirty six thousand two hundred and ten to this and the former number i add those that were on the pentaconters, supposing eighty men on the average to be on board of each three thousand of these vessels were assembled therefore the men on board them must have been two hundred and forty thousand this then was the naval force from asia the total being five hundred and seventeen thousand six hundred and ten of infantry there were seventeen hundred thousand and of cavalry eighty thousand to these i add the arabians who drove camels and the libyans who drove chariots reckoning the number at twenty thousand men accordingly the numbers on board the ships and on the land added together make up two millions three hundred and seventeen thousand six hundred and ten this then is the force which has been mentioned was assembled from asia itself exclusive of the servants that followed and the provision ships and the men that were on board them but the force brought from europe must still be added to this whole number that has been summed up but it is necessary to speak by guess now the Grecians from Thrace and the islands contiguous to Thrace furnished 120 ships. These ships give an amount of 24,000 men. Of land forces which were furnished by Thracians, Paeonians, and the Euridae, the Botians, the Chalcidian race, Brigi, Pyrians, Macedonians, Perhebae, Aeniones, dolopians magnesians and Achaeans, together with those who inhabit the maritime parts of thrace of these nations i suppose that there were three hundred thousand men so that these myriads added to those from asia make a total of two millions six hundred and forty one thousand six hundred and ten fighting men i think that the servants who followed them and with those on board the provision ships And other vessels that sailed with the fleet were not fewer than the fighting men, but more numerous. But supposing them to be an equal in number to the fighting men, they make up the former number of myriads. Thus, Xerxes, son of Darius, led five millions, two hundred and eighty three thousand two hundred and twenty men to Sepius and Thermopylae. This then was the number of the whole force of Xerxes. But of women, who made bread and concubines and eunuchs no one could mention the number with accuracy nor of draught cattle and other beasts of burden nor of indian dogs that followed could any one mention the number they were so many therefore i am not astonished that the streams of some rivers failed but rather it is a wonder to me how provisions held out for so many myriads for i find by calculation if each man had a chenix of wheat daily and no more one hundred and ten thousand three hundred and forty medimni must have been consumed every day and i have not reckoned the food for the women eunuchs beasts of burden and dogs but of these myriads of men not one of them for beauty and stature was more entitled than xerxes himself to possess the supreme command when the fleet having set out sailed and reached the shore of magnesia that lies between the city of castanea and the coast of Sepius, the foremost of the ships took up their station close to land others behind rowed at anchor the beach not being extensive enough with their prows toward the sea and ate deep thus they passed the night but at daybreak after serene and tranquil weather the sea began to swell and a heavy storm with a violent gale from the east which those who inhabit these parts call a helen spontane burst upon them as many of them then as perceived the gale increasing and who were able to do so from their position anticipated the storm by hauling their ships on shore and both they and their ships escaped but such of the ships as the storm caught at sea it carried away some to the parts called ipni near pelion others to the beach some were dashed on cape sepius itself some were wrecked at malibue and others at castania the storm was indeed irresistible the barbarians when the wind had rolled and the waves had subsided having hauled down their ships sailed along the continent and, having doubled the promontory of magnesia, stood directly into the bay leading to Begasse. There is a spot in this Bay of Magnesia where it is said Hercules was abandoned by Jason and his companions when he had been sent from the Argo for water, as they were sailing to Colchis in Asia for the golden Fleece, and from there they purposed to put out to sea after they had taken in water from this circumstance the name of Ephete, was given to the place. In this place, then, the fleet of Xerxes was moored. Fifteen of these ships happened to be driven out to sea some time after the rest, and somehow saw the ships of the Greeks at Artemisium. The barbarians thought that they were their own, and sailing on fell among their enemies. They were commanded by Sandoses, son of Thaumasius, governor of Sime of eolia he being one of the royal judges had been formally condemned by king darius who had detected him in the following offense to be crucified Sandoses gave an unjust sentence for a bribe but while he was actually hanging on the cross darius considering within himself found that the services he had rendered to the royal family were greater than his faults Darius, therefore, having discovered this, and perceiving that he himself had acted with more expedition than wisdom, released him. Having thus escaped being put to death by Darius, he survived. But now, sailing down among the Grecians, he was not to escape a second time, for when the Greeks saw them sailing toward them, perceiving the mistake that they had committed, they bore down upon them and easily took them. King Xerxes encamped in the Trachinian territory of Malus, and the Greeks in the pass. This spot is called by most of the Greeks Thermopylae, but by the inhabitants and neighbors Pylae. Both parties then encamped in these places. The one was in possession of all the parts toward the north as far as Trachus, and the others of the parts which stretch toward the south and meridian of this continent the following were the greeks who awaited the persians in this position of spartans three hundred heavy-armed men of Tegeans and martinians one thousand half of each from Orchomenus in arcadia one hundred and twenty and from the rest of arcadia one thousand there were so many arcadians from corinth four hundred from Phlius two hundred men and from mycenia eighty these came from peloponnesus from boeotia of thespians seven hundred and of thebans four hundred in addition to these the opuntian locrians being invited came with all their forces and a thousand phocians for the greeks themselves had invited them representing by their ambassadors that they had arrived as forerunners of the others, and that the rest of the allies might be daily expected that the sea was protected by them, being guarded by the Athenians, the Agenicia, and others, who were appointed to the naval service, and that they had nothing to fear for that it was not a god who invaded Greece but a man, and that there never was and never would be any mortal who had not evil mixed with his prosperity from his very birth and to the greatest of them the greatest reverses happen, that it must therefore, needs be, that he who is marching against us, being a mortal, will be disappointed in his expectation. They, having heard this, marched with assistance to Trachus. These nations had separated generals for their several cities, but the one most admired and who commanded the whole army was a Lacedaemonian, Leonidas, son of anaxandrides son of Leon, son of Eucratides, son of Anaxander, son of Eurycates, son of Polydorus, son of Alcamenes, son of Telechus, son of Archelaus, son of Agasilus, son of Dorisus, son of Leobotes, son of Echestratus, son of Aegis, son of Eurasthenes. Son of Aristodemus, son of Aristomachus, son of Cleodaeus, son of Hylas, son of Hercules, who had unexpectedly succeeded to the throne of Sparta. For as he had two elder brothers, Cleomenes and Dorius, he was far from any thought of the kingdom. However, Cleomenes having died without male issue, and Dorius being no longer alive, Having ended his days in Sicily, the kingdom thus devolved upon Leonidas, both because he was older than Cleombrotus, for he was the youngest son of Alexandrides and also because he had married the daughter of Cleomenes. He then marched to Thermopylae, having chosen the three hundred men allowed by law and such as had children on his march, he took with him the Thebans. Whose numbers I have already reckoned, and whom Leotinides, son of Eurymachus, commanded. For this reason, Leonidas was anxious to take with him the Thebans alone of all the Greeks, because they were strongly accused of favoring the Medes. He therefore summoned them to the war, wishing to know whether they would send their forces with him, or would openly renounce the alliance of the Grecians. But they, though otherwise minded, sent assistance. The Spartans sent these troops first with Leonidas, in order that the rest of the allies, seeing them, might take the field, and might not go over to the Medes if they had heard that they were delaying. But afterward, for the Carnian festival was then an obstacle to them, they purposed, when they had kept the feast, to leave a garrison in Sparta, to march immediately with their whole strength the rest of the confederates likewise intended to act in the same manner for the olympic games occurred at the same period as these events as they did not therefore suppose that the engagement at thermopylae would soon be decided they dispatched an advance guard the greeks at thermopylae when the persians came near the pass being alarmed consulted about a retreat Accordingly, it seemed best to the other Peloponnesians to retire to Peloponnesus and guard the isthmus. But Leonidas, perceiving the Phocians and Locrians were very indignant at this proposition, determined to stay there and to dispatch messengers to the cities, desiring them to come to their assistance, they being too few to repel the army of the Medes. While they were deliberating on these matters, Xerxes sent a scout on horseback to see how many they were and what they were doing. For while he was still in Thessaly, he had heard that a small army had been assembled at that spot, and as to their leaders, that they were Lacedaemonians, and Leonidas, who was of the race of Hercules. When the horsemen rode up to the camp, he reconnoitred and saw not indeed the whole camp, for it was not possible that they should be seen. Who were posted within the wall which having rebuilt they were now guarding but he had a clear view of those on the outside whose arms were piled in front of the wall at this time the lacedaemonians happened to be posted outside and some of the men he saw performing gymnastic exercises and others combing their hair on beholding this he was astonished and ascertained their number and, having informed himself of everything accurately, he rode back at his leisure, for no one pursued him, and he met with general contempt. On his return he gave an account to Xerxes of all that he had seen. When Xerxes heard this he could not comprehend the truth, that the Grecians were preparing to be slain and to slay to the utmost of their power, but, as they appeared to behave in a ridiculous manner, He sent for Demaratus, son of Ariston, who was then in the camp, and when he was to come into his presence, Xerxes questioned him as to each particular, wishing to understand what the Lacedaemonians were doing. Demaratus said, You before heard me, when we were setting out against Greece, speak of these men, and when you heard, you treated me with ridicule, though I told you in what way I foresaw these matters would issue for it is my chief aim o king to adhere to the truth in your presence hear it therefore once more these men have to fight with us for the pass and are now preparing themselves to do so for such is their custom when they are going to hazard their lives then they dress their heads but be assured if you conquer these men and those that remain in sparta there is no other nation in the world that will dare to raise its hand against you o king for you are now to engage with the noblest kingdom and city of all among the greeks and with the most valiant men what was said seemed incredible to xerxes and he asked again how being so few in number they could contend with his army he answered o king Deal with me as with a liar, if these things do not turn out as I say. But saying this, he did not convince Xerxes. He therefore let four days pass, constantly expecting that they would be taking themselves to flight. But on the fifth day, as they had not retreated, but appeared to him to stay through arrogance and rashness, he, being enraged, sent them Medes and Scythians against them with orders to take them alive, and bring them into his presence. When the Medes bore down impetuously upon the Greeks, many of them fell. Others followed to the charge, and were not repulsed, though they suffered greatly. But they made it evident to every one, and not least of all to the king himself, that they were indeed many men but few soldiers. The engagement lasted through the day. End of Part 1 End of Section 37